Well, I do love you, preacher, and I love this church, and I'm thankful to be here. Boy, I love the, the great singing. You know, you know um, the, only, the only complaint you can have about the way that this church sings is that's not the way we've always done it, you know? And what do you say about these songs? I mean, read the song, read the doctrine. Well, here's the complaint. Well, it's new. You know, it's, it's a new song. Well, hey, you know, God does new works in us, doesn't he? I think it'd be sad if nobody in our, in our generation had any, had any depth enough to write music for the Lord. That the only music we can sing is from dead people. I mean, really, is there anybody alive that's got a heart for God? And I, boy, this has just been great. I have enjoyed every bit of it. And, and uh, you know, I tell people, when you get to the place to where you get critical and you don't like the way things are done because they're not the way that you did them, there's a Greek word that you ought to use. It's called whoopee, I-O, kaye, okay? It's a Greek word, uh, Greek Texas. But anyhow, uh, yeah, just a, what, a, what a blessing. It's just so great to sing songs of the Lord. I want you to open your Bibles. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for your fellowship. I can promise you that I will leave this place and go home with great, great fondness. It's just been a wonderful time for me for being able to hang out with your preacher and Brother Ferg and the families and just being here has just been such a blessing to me. And I, I go back with a full heart and I, I really mean that. Psalm 123, old authors called this psalm Oculus Speranus. It means the eye of hope. The Eye of Hope. It's written by Hezekiah, most scholars believe. In 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19, Hezekiah's city was besieged by Sennacherib's army and Rebshakeh the general came and barked out a lot of orders from down below. He was threatening, man. I'm going to crush you. I'm going to annihilate you. I'm going to overwhelm this city and no one has stood up to us to this point. Nobody has survived our onslaught to this point. And, and because of that, when all is said and done, we're going to overrun you and there's no hope for you. Well, Hezekiah, Hezekiah laid out his complaint to the Lord and literally, literally spread it out. He, he begins by saying simply this, this is a day of trouble and rebuke and the blasphemy and the children are come to the birth and there's not strength to bring forth. Chapter 19 and verse number three, Jeremiah, this is his feeling. It's a day of, we, we, we're at the prime. We're at a place when we should be enjoying life. We have come to the place of birth. This was when we as a nation should be celebrating new things, but he said, all of our strength is gone. We have nothing left, no strength with which to bring forth the birth. And so he writes this Psalm, the 123rd, and he says in verse one, unto thee lift up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God, until that he have mercy 
upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we are exceeding filled with contempt. Our soul is exceeding filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. Father, would you today give us that which we have need of? I pray that you would minister to hearts, bless and speak to us, dear God, as only you can. We'll give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. One of the great privileges of my life, one of the things that I've enjoyed most in life is being a history teacher for 20 plus years uh, in the earlier part of of my life. I, I so enjoyed teaching world history and U.S. history to high school students. And my, my daughter, by the way, my oldest daughter is the head of a history department at a, a Christian school there in, in Idaho now. And all of my children share my passion for history. At Christmas time, at, at some point, we're exchanging during our gift giving where there's always a book involved. We're always, my boys and I are texting pictures of books and covers of books and talking about books we've read and seeing a book on a shelf maybe at an airport and saying, oh my word, that looks good. And, and we're, always, we're always sharing historical things. Sometimes we'll gather on Sunday nights at our house. In fact, most of the time we will. And during that time, somewhere down the line, history's going to come up. We're talking about something that we've read and and uh, it's, it's, it's been one of the great studies and one of the great thrills of my life. One of my favorite characters in all of history is Winston Churchill. And may I say that the free world owes Winston Churchill more than any other man that lived during the 20th century. It was his resolve that withstood Hitler and bought enough time until the new world stepped in and rescued the old. And I want to tell you, Winston Churchill was a giant of a man. He was a man of great character, a man of, of fortitude, a man of vision, and a man of incredible inner strength. And the tragedy to me is when I talk with young people that are in school and taking history, and I mention the name of Winston Churchill, and they don't even know who he is. They have no idea that in many ways they owe their English language and the freedom of this continent to a man that lived a number of years ago in, in England and and. And, and literally preserve their freedom for them. I've had the honor of visiting his, uh, his war rooms in London. They're underground London. If you ever go to London, England, visit the Churchill War Rooms. It's incredible. It's, it's in bunkers underneath the ground. And you go in there and literally the diagrams and the map where the the, the pins are placed and the war strategy is left just as it is. Where he sat, where he slept underground. All of the things that were there as they, as they uh, worked toward victory. I, 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 as I stood in those rooms, I felt overwhelmed with emotion because I was very well aware that I stood where history was made and where decisions were made that, that literally saved freedom and where a great man once walked. just want to say it one more time. The man that stood before the British Parliament and said, never, never, never give up, never quit, never give up. We'll fight him in the air. We'll fight him on the beach. 
We'll fight them everywhere we have to. We will not. Listen, he, he, shouldered, he shouldered the destiny of free men. And with his resolve, he literally brought us to victory. But as great as he was, if you read his journeys, his journals, Churchill refers from time to time in those journals, he will say, well, today the black dog showed up. The black dog has been with me for two or three days. I was plagued again today by a visit from the black dog. And what he's referring to there is not an actual animal. He's referring to a mood of despondency and depression that the great man, I'm talking about the great man, struggled with. He could face a dictator. He could free a world. He could stand against the axis of evil with unflinching bravery, but he struggled with what he called the black dog. Now, I want to just tell you that that history reveals that Churchill was not the only person of notoriety that struggled with, struggled with what one writer uh, termed on the edge of darkness. I live on the edge. I, I live on the edge of darkness. Calvin Coolidge, Beethoven, Michelangelo, Sir Isaac Newton, Abraham Lincoln, Charles Dickens, those are just a few that suffered from frequent bouts of what at that time was called the melancholy. It was, it was just simply, he's got the melancholy. And it was a deep, somber mood that was, would overwhelm these great men and, and, uh, and a, a dark cloud that would settle over them for sometimes days and sometimes months and sometimes even longer. Now, the rebuke against the church of Jesus Christ is simply that if you get cancer, we will pray for you. If you have heart trouble, we'll visit you in the hospital. If you've got diabetes or or, or some other physical malady, if you break your leg, we'll show up at the ER and hold your hand if we need to. We'll ask how you got stitches in your head or If you're in an automobile accident, we'll gather around your family and we'll bring food to you because you need to eat. But if you dare mention that you have an injury or a malady or something going on in your life that that, that covers the space from ear to ear, if you've got a problem on the inside of who you are, you're labeled. You see, you can be transparent about everything in the world. You can talk about a past that's filled with, with sinful decisions and bad things. And, and, and if, 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 it's a, if it's a good Bible-preaching church, people will accept you anyhow. They'll, they'll allow you to get beyond your past. But if you just say, I have struggled with my thinking... I've got a problem with my thoughts. I, I can't seem to get it all together. And, and, and if you, like Churchill, have, have frequent visits from the black dog, don't dare mention that in the house of God because people don't know how to deal with it. 
you get labeled so oftentimes and looked down upon as somebody who is mentally or emotionally weak. Now, I want to tell you what happened to me, okay? Let me catch you up and then we'll move through that. Let me tell you what happened to me. The Holy Spirit of God led me before I preached to teen camp to study this message. I was reading about Churchill and I thought to myself, my soul, you just look at Churchill and you think, what a man of incredible fortitude and determination. And yet he writes this in his diary. I in his journal, and I, I began to study and read, and, and through all that, God brought me to a place to where, at a teen camp of all places, I was going to preach a message on the black dog. Now, that's not what you preach at teen camp. The teen camp is rah, rah, shish, goomba. You know what I'm talking about? Let's go get them. Come on, kids! You know, they all jump up and run out. They don't know what they're jumping up and running out for, but they just all jump up and run out. And I preached this message... And Brother Ferg, when I finished, the altars were literally filled with sobbing teenagers. I've preached this at large youth rallies. From one end of the country to the other was God opened doors. And, and, and I have had pastors sit on the front row and look at me like, really? You're going there? Really? You're bringing this up? This is not a subject you're supposed to talk about. Let people suffer quietly. Let's don't admit the fact that somebody in an independent Baptist church that loves the Bible and loves God and and serves, let's don't admit the fact that those type people have this type problem. That's the kind of looks I got. And when I gave the invitation, the altars were packed with people. And I had young girls come up to me literally with their hands shaking Brother Dean, would you, would you sign my Bible for me? And I'm like, whoa, yeah, I'll shine your Bible. Are you okay? And she said to me, this one girl, she said, yes, but I've suffered for years and nobody will listen to me. And that's the first message I've ever heard in my life on this subject. Thank you for addressing. Thank you for letting me know I'm okay. I've had adult counselors and adult men and women that have come forward in, 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 after a meeting where I've preached this and they've confessed to me their struggle and their problem with visits from the black dog. Now, I'm not going to go into all, the, uh, all of the, the uh, statistics that go on, but I want to tell you, depression uh, uh, for the ages of people just 12 to 17 has risen 63% since 2013, and girls are suffering at a higher rate than boys, and yet, and yet both genders are on the climb. People are becoming despondent to life, and, 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 and depression... Uh, depression magnifies our, our, our sense of self-loathing. It increases somebody's risk for attempting suicide 12 times. It's, it's, it's amazing. 30% of people that, 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 that struggle with depression ultimately develop a substance abuse problem. Sometimes the real problem, preacher, is not the booze and it's not the drugs, it's the, it's the outlook that leads to those things. I, I'm just going to tell you, dear friend, that it's real and that probably at some point or another, all of us 
have experienced a visit from the black dog. We've all been through a time in life where we might not have known what to call it, and in fact, we may have deliberately called it something else. Well, I'm not depressed. A number of years ago, I had some issues with high blood pressure, and I went into my doctor, and, and I don't mean to be critical, but he was sort of the kind of guy that just like loads a paintball gun, asks you to open your mouth, and fires pills into you. You know what I'm talking about? So one of the pills he shot me with was a beta blocker, and there are plenty of people that take those, but man, when I started taking it, everything, everything flipped on me. I didn't know what was happening. My family would sit around, and rather than me being, uh, you know, the jokester, I, I, I couldn't talk. We, we, were, we were going through different uh, uh, things at church, and I, I basically lost my, my desire, my drive. People would sit around and, 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 and I wanted to be, have nothing to do with the conversation. My family, when they'd sit around and watch a movie, I, 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 there was just something about it. I just, I couldn't hardly handle it. I remember laying on the floor at times and, 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 and just curling up on the floor and weeping and begging God. I didn't know what was going on. I got some friends of mine to meet me and I prayed to pray with me. And I just told them, I said, I don't know what's happening, but, but man, I, I've just sort of lost the handle on things. Man, I was, I was three months in a cave. I was three months in a downward spiral. I was three months in a situation that, quite frankly, was one of the most haunting times of my entire life. I finally went to a doctor. He wasn't my doctor, but he, he was standing in for my doctor. And I said, you know, Doc, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. And here's, here's the statement. You ready? I, 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 I wouldn't call myself depressed. Well, why wouldn't I call myself depressed? Because that, that means I'm labeling myself. I'm not going to call myself depressed, but but. Something's changed. I just feel like my personality, the edge has been shaved off. Of. Something's not right. He didn't bat an eyelash. He just said to me, oh, it's your medication. I said, what? He said, it's your medication. And, and, and so in, in doing that, I realized that one of the important things when you deal with the subject of depression is that you have to identify the source of your gloom. You've got to find out what, what is causing that. And, and you, you know, as we read the story of, of, of uh, Hezekiah and, and the siege of the Assyrian uh, invasion, it's very possible, it's very possible that these external things in Hezekiah's life, these overwhelming uh, circumstances are the very things that was causing and overwhelming him to the fact that, that he, was, he was feeling that, that depressed uh, that depressed uh, mood there. Um, let, me, let me say this. First of all, let, let me just give you a couple of things real quick. Depression can be caused by physical issues. So I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to be a doctor. I am not dispensing any type of, of medical advice. Please don't take anything I say with that type of profession. That's a disclaimer. You cannot sue me because you will not get my motorcycle. So let's settle that right now. You're not doing it, so don't even try, Okay. I'll go to the Mojave and you'll never find me. But anyhow, I'm just saying that sometimes you need to check out because there could be some physical things that are caused. Now, now listen to me carefully. 
If I were you and I was struggling with depression, one of the things I would do, I think the easiest thing to do, is I would look for some external things. If my car's having trouble, I'm going to take the simplistic things first. Could be this, could be this. I'm not going to have, look, look, uh, my car's, you know, it's, it's not hitting all cylinders. I want to rebuild the motor. You might not need to rebuild the motor. Okay, so I would try the simple things first. And one of the simple things for me was simply being taken off of a medication that the side effect, after I went back and looked at that, the side effect is, is depression and suicidal tendencies. I would not put anything in my body that that was one of the side effects of. That's my advice to you. Had a young man call me. His wife was sitting next to me and a and, and number, number of, of, of uh, uh, months ago. And he said to me, he said, Brother Dean, I just feel like God wants me to call you. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm trying to serve God. I want to be what God wants me to be, but I, I don't know. I'm losing it. I, I don't know what's wrong. My wife's right here, and she's wondering what's happening to me. That's all right. Calm down. Tell me what your medications are. So he gave me his medications, and I wrote them down. And I said, all right, I'll call you back. Give me 20 minutes. I'll call you back. I researched his medication. One of the medications he was on was a beta blocker, the very same thing that I was on. And so I looked at that and I said, now you've got to trust me with this. You called me, God led you, you have to trust me with this. Tell your doctor you're off of that to put you on an ACE inhibitor where, where that's what I take, it causes no problems. He said, well, I'll check. I said, you don't check anything out. Do not, don't check out with your doctor. I said, go tell your doctor you're not taking that pill again. You're not taking that pill again to give you something else. Become proactive. He went and told the doctor that. You know what happened a month later? He called me weeping again. This time he said, my wife is here. She wants to thank you for giving her her husband back. There, there, there's, see, we're, we're, we make everything spiritual. Well, do you read your Bible, pray every day, and grow, grow, grow? Sometimes it's not a spiritual problem. Sometimes you're taking something or maybe, wait a minute, maybe you're not taking something. Maybe you've got a chemical imbalance, Okay. Maybe, the, maybe, maybe, maybe you're low on, on potassium or Gatorade or boiled peanuts. What? Yes. Anyhow, I don't know. So I, I, that's not my area of expertise. I'm just simply saying I would check out, I would check out uh, some of the physical issues that could be causing what you think is a spiritual problem. Number two, let me say this to you. This is important. Sometimes depression can be caused by a comparison with other people. Okay? It, it's the old comparative thing. Um, determining where I am based on where uh, everyone else is. I want to look at you. You're prettier than me. You're stronger than me. We were in a room the other day. The pastors were sitting around talking. And uh, there were a group of us around a table. I was on this end. Brother Chadwick was on the other end. And he put his hands behind his head. And I thought, what is my thigh doing in his shirt sleeve? <laughs> I looked down. I said, no, that is my thigh. Well, what is that? It's sick is what it is. I'm 66 years old and now I'm thinking about, okay, I got to go home and hit the weights. Are you kidding me? 
I walked in front of the mirror when I got back last night in the hotel room and got the dry heaves. <laughs> Dude, you have got to do something. This is pathetic. Well, if you're not careful, you get caught up in comparison and, and somebody's prettier than you or somebody that's, is more wealthy than you. And, and we look at others to see how we measure up with where they are and what they've accomplished and what they own. And, and this is what happened. When you do that, you lose sight of God's blessings in your life. And you become unthankful. And when gratitude dies on the heart of a man or a woman, they are well nigh gone. We've got to get to the place to where we're content and sad. Paul said, I've learned that whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. And so we've got to be contented. If you can do something about it, do something about it. But thank God for who you are. Man, when I was a kid, I had a buddy of mine named Kip, and we, he, I, I, had a, I had a real English racer. I had a shift right here, and, and, and uh, he, he, had a, he had a stingray with a banana seat and the shift on the column, a little sissy bike. And so, uh, we, you, know, you know how guys are. We're going to challenge each other to a race. He said, man, I could outrun you. We both got him for Christmas, I mean, you know, maybe about six or seven months before. And I said, dude, you can't outrun me on that. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous looking, number one. Number two, I've got to shift here. You, no, you can't beat me. So I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll race you in low gear. You can put yours in high gear, and I'll beat you down. Well, we chose a nice road. It was, it's a rock road, Amar Avenue in Savannah. A rock road. That's nothing but tar with rocks poured on the top of it. So we're, we get lined up. Now, what I forgot about is that just several weeks earlier, I noticed that on my on my right handbrake, it had two screws. One of them had wobbled out. So there's only one screw left in it. And Dino the Procrastinator did not put another screw in it. So the race is on. Let's go. Man, boom, we take off. You know what? We get, it's a long road. We get about a quarter mile down the road, and, and I've got him by a half a back, like, <laughs> as I'm pedaling along and he's just you know on that little bike and I'm just easing along on my English racer and all of a sudden the other screw wobbled out and my handbrake went and it hit the tire and it bounced up and I remember this clearly I looked at Kip he looked at me and everything went, oh, no. This time it didn't bounce up. It lodged in the spokes. The bike stopped, but I didn't. <laughs> now, if you're sitting there wondering, what's wrong with his face? That's what's wrong with my face. This is a face made by Amar Avenue, okay? <laughs> Knocked one of my teeth out, broke the other ones off, stripped the hide off of my face, gashed my chin up. I got up and was staggering, and the kip looked at me, and a true friend that he was, he said, oh, man. <laughs> well, I put my hand up, and it's filled with blood. So the neighbor lady came out, wrapped a towel around me, brought me inside, called my dad. My dad came down, took me home. I walked inside and my mother said, oh no. I mean, you talk about a complex. So I run into the bathroom and I'm, I don't want stitches, son. No, don't, okay? No stitches. Why didn't they have glue in those days? 
I mean, seriously. My grandkids get hurt, they glue it back. They didn't glue it back then. They took a hook like this, you know, a, a trout hook, and literally ripped my chin open. It was far worse than the cut. So I, I know what's going to happen. So I'm trying to glue by force. I'm just mashing it here. And my brother comes in and says, oh, no. And as soon as he says that, I said, what? And then it pops open. Man, I spent hours. I had, you know what I did? Here's what, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, I went to school with broken off teeth. You're talking about, I didn't get the best looking award in junior high school for some reason. My teeth were broke off. First of all, uh, uh, Ralph, it gives you great head movement in a fight. Son, listen to me. When you get hit in the mouth and your teeth are broke off and they're like razors, you learn to slip punches good. And so, you, you know, you get in a fight, son, you hit me, any, you can body shot me, but please don't hit my face, you know. I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just simply saying, I think one of the good things God did for me to, to, to undo some of my, maybe what I would have as a, as a complex was I had to walk around like that for a couple of years before they ever fixed my teeth, you know? And every now and then, one of my grandkids will sit up and, you know, they'll look at my teeth and say, Papa, what's wrong with your teeth? Shut up. But anyhow, <laughs> look, stop comparing yourself with other people. Can I tell you this? Look at me. I want you to look at me. Look, listen to me. You're beautiful. I'm not trying to do no positive. I'm not trying to do no positive thought process. I'm saying that 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 that, that there's there's beauty in you. See, some of the most ugly people in all the world find their way on the fronts of magazines. Beauty's not how your eyes and nose are arranged. Beauty is how your heart's arranged and your spirit. Don't don't worry about that. Don't spend your life comparing yourself with other people. We're plagued. We compare our bodies and our jobs and our families and our skills and our intellects and all of these things, trying to find, trying to find satisfaction. We, we need not do that. It, 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 impacts our, it impacts our spiritual life. Pastors do it too. I remember, I remember early in the ministry, uh, Pastor, I was reading my Bible three chapters a day, and I went to a meeting, and there's this guy reading 21 chapters a day. Man, a lot. 21 chapters a day? That's a lot. And suddenly, you know what happened by comparison? Reading my three chapters a day was backslidden. I mean, I just thought to myself, Dude, you're not doing anything. And one of the problems sometimes, rather than being challenged, rather than being challenged by what people are doing, we become depressed by it because we compare ourselves with it and, 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 and we need not fall into the trap. Sometimes it's just caused by overwhelming circumstances. And, and I, I don't have time to go into it, but look, you, you may be the child of a divorce. It could be that someone cheated you. And again, like I said this morning, you're wondering, why wasn't I enough? And you're depressed by outward circumstances in your life that you don't have an answer to and they're overwhelming you and maybe your home life is more like hell on earth than heaven and, 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 and maybe, maybe your mom's got cancer and you're afraid of what's going to happen or maybe your dad's an alcoholic and, 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 and you don't know what's coming next or, or maybe, maybe somehow there's something that's happened in your life that's bigger than you are and you feel overwhelmed by it that can cause 
very easily for us to lose the hope of Psalms 123. Opulus serenus, the eye of hope, can go out on us. Number two, let me say this, you've got to realize that you're not alone. Now, now, very quickly, let, let, me, let me remind you of this. Listen, one of Satan's number one ploys is to make you think nobody else has what you've got. We talked about that this morning and others, okay? Whatever you're going through, your feet, listen, whatever you're going through, your footprints are the only footprints on the path of wherever it is you're headed. You're not alone, and others. And so the reality of the matter is you're, you're, uh, you're, you're not alone there. There are other people that are suffering and even like Churchill who struggled with the black dog, Elisha sat under a juniper tree, Elijah under a juniper tree after, after the high of a great victory. Elijah, and, and, and he, he had no desire for food. Have you been there? I don't feel like eating. I'm losing vast amounts of weight. I can't eat. Why? I, 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 just, I, I just don't feel like it anymore. He had, a, he had a death wish under the tree. I wish I hadn't ever been born. David in Psalm 55 wishes he could sprout wings and go live in the wicked, uh, the, the wilderness from the maddening cry of life as a king. And, and, and there were times often in the Psalms, read the Psalms, he, he talked about his soul. What is the soul? The seat of emotions. My soul is cast down within me. King Saul is a classic example of someone who is dealing with a uh, manic depressive spirit. Hannah was depressed because she couldn't have children. Rachel was depressed because she bore the stigma of being barren. You read Job chapter 3 again. How can you read it without feeling sympathy for a man that has been swallowed up by despondency and depression? Job chapter 3. So much so, here's Job. I wish I had never even been born. The world would be better off without me. Now, now let me say this to you. Look at me. Listen to me. They, these are people, they weren't off their rocker. There wasn't something wrong with them. Well, something's wrong with them. No, no, it's, it's, not, it, it, it's not like they weren't playing with the full deck. Here's what they had. Very real, uh, very real struggles very real difficulties in their outlook on life. And so depression isn't a disposition of the weak-minded and the emotionally unstable. And look at me, it doesn't mean you're unspiritual. Because you're depressed, that doesn't mean you're unspiritual. You know what it means? It means you're depressed. That's all it means, is that you're depressed. And, the, and, 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 and there's an answer there, and I know there is, but it, 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 some people are more predisposed to discouragement than other people are. Let me say number three, very quickly, remember that God values you. Boy, I wish I could, I, I wish I could sit every one of you down that struggle with this. I wish I could get in front of you and get on my knees and look you in the face and say the one thing I want you to know is that you have value to God. Well, preacher, how, how, how can you say that? Well, you were bought with a price. And may I, may I just say this? It's the highest price paid for anything in the history of the universe. I hate pawn stars. 
Have you ever watched that show? Some guy goes in and says, and I saw this. I've got my grandfather's flight jacket from World War II. He flew 70 missions. I've got his hat, his jacket, his gloves, his goggles, and his flight log. I'm going to ask $7,800 for this because I believe it's... First of all, why are you selling that? Give it to me. He's not my granddaddy, but I'll value it. Why are you selling your grandfather something that was special to your granddad? Why are you pawning it for money? Second of all, $7,800. Okay, he goes in, he goes in, and one of the guys stands behind the counter, and he says, <coughs> I'll, t- I'll tell my wife, I said, he's going to get 300 bucks for it. <laughs> Dean, he's, go- no, watch, watch. You know what happens? I'll give you, a, like, I can give you, a, it's, value, it, it's valued at 8000 I can give you $300 for it. What? Well, it's hard for me to sell. You know what he does? He walks out with 300 bucks. You know why? He doesn't think it has any real value to him. But the greatest price ever paid in the history of the universe was paid for you. Listen, you telling me Jesus died for you and you have no value? No, you have great value to God. Let me say, fourth of all, you've got to change your focus. Now, remember what we talked about looking unto Jesus? It's really the same. I want to just ditto that point from this morning. Because what, 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 uh, what Hezekiah basically says in, in the 123rd Psalm, unto thee lift I up mine eyes. Do you know this? Did you know when it says look unto Jesus? If you'll study that word, it means looking away. So what does that mean? Okay, they've got all this going on around you. Look away and gaze. That's what that means. Well, Hezekiah's got a whole army outside of his wall, and you've got all these problems and all these things going on. And listen, if we're not careful, what's going to happen to us is we're going to become overwhelmed by the things that we're facing and the things that we're lacking and the things that others have that we don't have. And as we're looking at all these different peripheral things, we're not looking at Jesus as we should. And Hezekiah said, here's my answer. Unto thee, O Lord, will I lift up mine eyes. I'm not looking down here. I'm looking up there. And so we've got we've to get our focus back on Christ and, 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 and look at that. We've got to stay in his word. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Great peace have all they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. We've got to get back to the book. I told you that nine years ago I had cancer. The doctor said, you, you're, you're probably not going to have to have chemotherapy or radiation. It was, it was, it was just, we got it. You're going to be good. So I recovered in, in, in a room there in Oklahoma City uh, that, that, that uh, uh, one of the churches allowed. Man, I just, listen, it was, a, it was a hard week after surgery, but it was all good news. So I went home. My family, you know, that was there, they took me to the airport. I got, to, they pushed, I got on the plane first. I've been borrowing wheelchairs ever since. It's an easy way to get on the airplane. So they wheel me up and everybody's staring at me like, oh yeah, I bet you're not really hurt. You idiot, why do you think I've got a pillow in my stomach? So I fly home, my family meets me at the airport, Brother Ferg. 
All the grandkids are there, the happy papa's home. I go home and, man, you know, I come in the door, I can't get around too good. But I sit in my recliner and I relax and everybody goes home and the lights are off. And I'm sitting there in the darkness of my man cave in my recliner, happy that I'm home. And this brilliant thought came into my mind. Ready? I'm going to check the internet and find out exactly what I had. Dude, 20 minutes later, I was dead. I was, I mean, I went to a site and they're telling me everything that's going to happen to me. And I'm looking there thinking, oh no. Oh, I thought they said, oh no. I'm reading some guy that got ran over by a truck when he was a kid and he's writing this thing here. And I'm believing him. And I'm reading this and I'm like, oh no. You know what? I'm serious. I'm dead serious with you. You know what happened to me? My wife had to sleep down the room at the office because when she moved in the bed, it hurt my incision, okay? So, so she would come, we would, we would have prayer, and she would go down to the room, and she would sleep down there, and I was in the room all by myself. And you, you, know, what happened to, you know what happened to me? I cried. I wept. I said, God, I don't want, I'm not through. I'll preach teen camps. I want to serve you. I've got things I want to do, God. I don't want to die. I've got grandkids. I want to watch my grandkids go. Father, please give me time. And I got really, really depressed. Because I read something. Later, I went to an oncologist. He said, preacher, preacher, stay away from that stuff. Don't go to that site. You got something so rare. We caught it in the earliest stage. We shouldn't have even have caught it. We caught it in the earliest stage. And it's such a kind that, that it would be, uh, that your chances of ever even getting it again would be minuscule. You're fine. But I was fine before that. Do you know why? Because I started, I didn't feel like it, I just, but I read my Bible. And I got up the next day, and I didn't feel like it, but I read my Bible. And I got up the next day and I read my Bible. And I got up the next day and I read my Bible. And I just, even when I didn't feel like it, I stayed in the book. And I want to just tell you that great peace have all they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Please stay connected. Because the tendency is when you have this type of a tendency... You want, to, you want to withdraw. Forsake not the assembling of thyself together as the manner of some men is even so much the more as you see the day approaching. Can I tell you this? God created you whether you feel like it or don't. And you won't feel like it when you're depressed. But at that time is when you need it most. Force yourself into community because that's how God created you. And that's why he gave us a church, because we're our support group and we, we're able to encourage each other. Don't, listen, fellowship's a Bible word. Allow God to use the fellowship of your, your uh, fellow believers to encourage you. Let me say this, don't let it define who you are. And I love that song, Who Shall Separate Us from the Love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword... No, none of these things. And all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. There's some things about your story 
you can't change. Now look at me. You can't change it. I broke my teeth off. Boom. Well, I could have changed that. That's a bad illustration. But anyhow, I could have changed that. But anyhow, once it happened, I couldn't. Part of my face is still there. They've got a marker there, a historic marker. Dean's face was right here. You can actually take me there and lay my face on the road, and it's like a puzzle. It fits. Wow. That's where that crater came from, his nose. Good night. It fits perfect. There's some things about your story you can't change. And, 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 and they're, they're, they're parts of a chapter that will forever be who you are. You can't undo the divorce, the abuse, the molestation, the betrayal, the lies. You can't undo that. But leave it on the page and don't let it be the story itself. Don't let it define who you are. When the black dog comes around, don't pet it. Don't stroke it. Don't feed it. Come to God's house and starve it out. And I close by saying simply this, and this may be the most important thing, because this is where Satan hits us so hard. Can I... Can I just say, please remember that God has a purpose for your life. Amen. See, if we lose our purpose, that's when we become despondent. Here's Elijah under the juniper tree, and he's got a death wish, and God said to him, what are you doing? And he said, I'm the only one left. And God said, oh, really? You're the only one left? I think not. And you know what God said to him? Get up and get down. I've got Elisha down there waiting on you. He's going to work with you and give you fellowship and encouragement. I still got work for you to do, son. I'm grateful that God still has a purpose for your life and my life. Winston Churchill struggled with depression, was visited by the black dog. Now listen carefully. But rather, some of you, that's the first time you ever heard of it. You know why? Because he didn't let it define him. You have to search the pages of a journal. He never spoke of it openly or made it the major part of his life. You know what he did? Rather than let it ruin his life, he authored 38 books, painted 500 paintings, and went out and saved the world. That's what Winston Churchill did. Now, now I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what God wants you to do, but I do know he's got a purpose for your life. And my encouragement to you is rather than sitting around spending a great deal of time, you know, check, check some things out. And, and I think that's smart to do. Check, do some research on your medication and those type things and see somebody that may be qualified to talk to you. I think one of the misnomers in our, in our circles is we think that, the, you know, the only counseling that's needed is from a pastor, you know, with an open body. Sometimes I'm not really qualified to deal with some things. I'm just being honest. I've told my people, I, man, I love you. I'll give you all the scripture I know, but maybe, maybe, maybe you might need somebody to sit down with you who this, their whole life is wrapped up in this. But don't you quit. 
Don't let it define you. Go out and save a world. Now, well, preacher, I'm not going to say, no, you can save somebody's world. You can change somebody's world. Spend your life helping other people in, in, in your, the depth of your depression and those despondent thoughts will, they won't be at the forefront. Let's bow our heads, could we? Now, I don't know. This, this is not a shameful thing. I just got through telling you I struggled. Man, I had some times in my life that nailed me. I'm, 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 I didn't know what to do. Man, man, my life, the lights, the lights went out for a while. And maybe, maybe, maybe you've been struggling with this and you've sort of let it define who you are. I don't know, but boy, there's an altar down here. And this altar's for just pouring our heart out to God. And I, I, and I did that. God, I don't know what to do. Maybe, maybe that's what you need to do. God, give me some answers. Lord, help me. But help me not to let this define me. I want to be defined by your love. I don't want to be captured by my mood. I want to be captured by your purpose.